everybody welcome back to another episode of every horror movie on netflix it's that show where we watch review and discuss every horror movie on netflix i'm patrick and i'm back this week with steven hey patrick and chris where where, where is chris chris isn't here this week is he i just noticed he, that he's out you know stoking the revolution he's out making change he's out trying to make our lives better good for I him assume. God bless. I, I can't say for certain somebody's gotta so we're gonna try and hold down the fort this week uh with a discussion of the 2017 film the manga adaptation death note but before we get to that what's been going on in your horror life steven or your horror of a life since last we met uh, well my my life has been a horror uh it will we'll i i will say this is a little teaser we'll get into that later when i pick the next movie we're gonna watch Ooh. um but uh, but i won't get into it now i don't want to get all maudlin and teary-eyed uh um for our listeners i haven't really been watching a lot of horror stuff but i gotta say here in michigan fall is coming fast baby it feels like halloween already it's like it was like 64 was the high today i think it's been cloudy Mm -hmm. i'm ready to get the orange and purple lights up the halloween decorations out and i really want to start getting back into watching a horror movie a night from here on out at least through halloween if not through until christmas maybe absolutely yeah not really been i haven't really watched anything horror specific lately well i've been watching the boys on on amazon which i i feel is only tangentially horror related in that is it is gruesome as fuck Mm. (laughs) i don't know Have, have you watched any of that yet patrick I haven't seen any of it. I keep hearing good things about it. Um, uh, as a graphic novel enthusiast, I'm not a huge Garth Ennis fan who wrote the original comics, and so I have a weird sort of aversion to it because of that. But I think I'll try and get over it at some point because I've heard very good things about it from yourself and others. Yeah, it's a good show. And and again, the only way that it's even tangentially horror related is that when it gets when it gets bloody, it gets bloody indeed. And my God, the special effects budget on this show looks like that of a Marvel movie or something. It's it's mm. it's gorgeous. Uh, what about you, Patrick? Well, I've been having a little trouble with leaning into the actual fall weather, but not the uh, fall behavior, which is, of course, just binging horror movies. Uh, I have started delving into our little Nightmare on Elm Street watching journey. As we revealed last episode, we're going to be watching and reviewing every Nightmare on Elm Street ever at some point in October. We'll, you know, we'll update you. Don't rush us. It'll be Um, out before Halloween or by Halloween, Halloween. I guess. That's safe to say. Yeah, so I started that. Um, Last weekend, of course, we did our killer double feature of The Invisible Man, which I had yet to see and which really blew me away. And, of course, rewatched Us for, like, the third or fourth time for me and the, I don't know, 17th time for you or something. It It was literally the seventh time I've seen it, and it is the... Let me think about this for a second, because it is kind of insane. I do love this movie so much, and it still throws me for a loop every single time and i get so into it it is the third time i've seen it this summer 
Damn. <laughs> because it's a movie I love to show people who don't really think they can get into horror or they're like too afraid to watch it because I feel like this movie just has it all, but especially it has, it is deeply unsettling. Uh, but it has that little, um, moments of humor in it that I think can get pretty much anybody through the experience. Yeah, for sure. We, we had the pleasure of introducing a couple of our friends to it last weekend and yeah, I really enjoyed that. And just being able to see others react to it for the first time, is such a joy and also just awesome to get to discuss the the themes of it with someone new every time because it's always like people wind up unpacking this movie for a while and i like just kind of like watching it wash over them and uh and and sort of walking through that process with them it's it's fun it's good. there's there's so much in there i mean not even just on the the quote-unquote haha easter egg level that jordan p likes to joke about but like thematically i mean every person i've watched this movie with has a completely different take on what it's about and i mm. and there none of them are i mean you can't be wrong really when it comes to interpreting art but like they're all like completely distinct observations and theories and all of them have blown my mind pretty much because I yeah. felt like I impacted all there was, and depending on what mood you're in, you know what sort of social strata you exist in, it can be a completely different movie. I, I love it. Absolutely. And, and the other Man note was and I, I just wanted to touch on the Invisible Man. That was such a treat too, because yes. it's a movie that I know you hadn't seen before. I don't think. No, Chris had seen it. He and yeah. I texted a bit about it. But that was the last movie I saw in theaters. I mean, that was the last big blockbuster. I think I saw it two weeks before we went into lockdown. You know, yeah. so like when I think of seeing a movie in a theater and having a thrilling experience, that's the one that comes to mind. You know, mm -hmm. that was the last one. So it was really cool to sit in a dark, dark room and watch that with people who had never experienced it before. And I, th yeah. I thought it held up beautifully. Yeah, I mean, I was not in my uh, sharpest or most alert mental state when we watched it, but I still <laughs> deeply appreciated it and just thought it was a knockout. Really well done in every way. But the other note I have to throw in here, which Chris would really appreciate this were he here. We keep we keep uh bringing him up you know we just we can't make it through a night without him we miss he's he, he he could be the invisible man he could be right he behind be. either of us right now on zoom i have no idea i should throw a jug of milk over my shoulder just to make sure <laughs> but you drink milk you drinking milk in the podcast patrick i thought you were more of a, a beer or maybe an occasional red wine guy <laughs> it's you know what tonight it's just ice water which doesn't really help me too much with the invisible man so maybe i'll go get something a little uh, a little more opaque but <laughs> chris would appreciate that tonight i watched darren lynn bowsman's repo oh. the genetic opera that's darren lynn bowsman of saw fame of course um boy and abattoir I, fame and abattoir i had seen just a little bit of this movie before I mean, years ago, I remembered almost nothing about it. And boy, is it an experience. I I was like, this isn't really good, but it's weird and interesting in enough ways to be watchable and memorable. It's just, it is such a strange beast. I mean, it is a sung through opera. And I should also note, I was inspired to do this because of our good friends over at It Slays podcast who recently oh, yeah. 
reviewed uh repo the genetic opera so you know rowan if you're listening hey thanks for uh hey rowan thanks for making me want to throw repo the genetic opera on i've always been so curious about that because i feel like that was a movie that theater kids who were not necessarily horror people were really into in like my senior year of high school it always seemed to me like i was super into hedvig which at that point like nobody talked about it was still even the movie was still kind of an underground thing and i'm Mm -hmm. like if you want to see something subversive that isn't exploitative then you should watch hedwig uh repo always sounded to me at the time like a weird for the sake of weird like maybe like modern rocky horror sort of thing maybe it's definitely going for that vibe yeah and i mean i saw it when i did see it for the first time it was at like a horror movie double feature sleepover night kind of thing and the first movie was rocky horror and it was a bunch of theater kids yeah and i i forget why i left early but yeah i only saw like 10 minutes of repo would you view it cute or screw it, Patrick? Should I actually check it out? Oh, Repo? Yeah. I mean, I can't help but say cue it. It is a bizarre curiosity in so many ways. I mean, Sarah Brightman, who's like a notable uh, Broadway singer, like originated the role of Christine in The Phantom of the Opera, is in it in a supporting role. Paul Servino is in it and kind of kind of destroys on his opera vocals paris hilton is in it and i weirdly didn't i was gonna ask about that i thought it was one of those one of those like sort of like million you know millionaire like accidental celebrities or something from the late yeah and i mean i was surprisingly didn't hate paris hilton she was a whole mood that i was there for Um, a mood wow a mood she was a mood Bill Mosley's in it. I don't know. It's just Bill a Mosley, weird. Yes. Yeah, it's just a weird assembly of people and such a weird project. Uh, again, I mean, like I already said, it, it's a sung through sci-fi horror opera. It's just I don't know. It's one of those things where it's so bizarre that it was created, let alone made, let alone with this group of people, and it's just a fascinating curiosity. So yeah, cue it. Oh, but. I did do something else horror related. I think this is going to come up in our discussion of Death Note, but I I I thought I had seen Wish Upon and I had All right. And I I watched it with a, a like on a date this week and um wow. Wow, wow, wow. Uh Wish Upon is exactly what I thought it would be, but I did not expect Ryan Philippi to be there as an amazing saxophonist. With a with a three piece like jazz band, a saxophonist. Oh, um, a saxophonist. Yeah, I mean it's a he he plays the saxophone, but it's pretty erotic. No, it's not. But yeah. it's 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 like uh, the, what I wish upon. Just quickly, like the when the trailer came out, when it came out in theaters, like I I just immediately thought like, okay, this is like the this is the blueprint for like the modern trashy teen horror movie that i know chris loves i think chris is a wish upon fan as well mm. um this movie it's it's a monkey's paw premise you know a little uh, a, a little girl a teenage girl high schooler <laughs> uh, her dumpster diving dad finds this weird music box to give her as like a half-hearted birthday present it turns out I don't even remember what the rules are, but as far as just like a, a bonkers bad teen movie with weird writing, acting, and directorial choices, I, I would give this a, I think I would give it a view it. 
to be frank. Oh my God. Wow. If you like bad movies, this is like the third view it you've given out in Amon history. I think think you're right. I think you're absolutely (laughs) right. No, it's, it's a view it. If you like bad movies, because it will hold your interest. Like it is not scary by any means. I mean, I didn't even, there weren't even any jump scares in this thing that I I'm susceptible to those like anybody else. I'll jump if you want me to jump. It's a it's a fun thing, but we'll get into it more because I think the premise is uh, uh, very very similar to what we're about to get into here with Death Note. And and for one last, I'm going to devote. I want to devote exactly a minute to this because we talked about it last time, um, and I don't want to belabor the point. But I just want to throw in a final note before we get to the note of the evening, Death Note. I uh, since last episode did catch up on Lovecraft Country, which oh. uh, is wild. I was totally hooked on the first two episodes. The third episode took a weird turn that I was not expecting, and. I don't know. It's a weird and wild show. I haven't gotten to the fourth one yet, but um, I'm quite curious to see where it goes from here. But I've really been enjoying the the performances and the weird vibe of it uh, and and just how drawn in I've gotten by these characters. And I'm kind of curious to see where it goes because it, yeah didn't wind up going where i thought it was going after those first two apps but interesting I will, show i i will say uh i'm reluctant to watch any more of it i probably will i was very into it from the first episode even though there were some things in it that i found to be kind of hokey at times which is mm-hmm. weird because it does go like balls out bananas gory crazy even in the first yeah. opening minutes as i described before i just i don't find any of the central characters to be very interesting oh, and interesting. Uh, or to be fully fleshed out they they seem like archetypes that that i've that i've you know maybe not necessarily have seen before but it seems like this is a show very much in search of meaning i've heard the book is that way as well but i will say in all the marketing for the show i think we've already seen everything that happens in the trailers and i was not expecting that to just be one part of the saga mm-hmm. like they've held mm-hmm. a lot back and now i think four episodes have come out now we're at a point where i'm like i don't even know what the show is anymore that does intrigue yeah. me a little bit even though i'm not really hooked on the characters um but i'm glad to know that you've caught up with it and that you seem to enjoy it i i am enjoying it we'll see where it goes from here but we should talk about something that is not at all sloppy or messy oh no the movie death note and and i want you to repeat you made a certain request of me or started to before this episode began and i I think you should repeat it for the listeners and i'll attempt to repeat the reaction i had to it oh (laughs) yes yes okay so going into this this is gonna be a fucking mess and this is where we really need chris here because i feel like this is the kind of thing chris would nail although i am a little I have a feeling he might be flummoxed too, but I'm going into this episode expecting Patrick to fully understand the last 20, 25, 30 minutes of this movie. At least the <laughs> at least the beat by beat reveal plot breakdown <laughs> of everything that happens. And uh Patrick seems to be just as uh confused as I am. 
You know, what's hilarious about this is I actually literally had this exact same thought. I mean, actually, I have this thought a lot of the time in these movies because I'm not, I, I don't know, as you know, my memory is terrible. And so a lot of the time I'm like, I've got two backups on this podcast. I have two other people who experienced mm-hmm. this and can kind of like remind me of the beats. And then I'll go, oh yeah, that one thing happened. And I don't have to like have a, a super... Uh, intensely detailed recall of the plot. But in this case, I was like, oh, shit, I hope Stephen remembers the beats of this climax or or can make some (laughs) sense of what happened. And I actually, this is my backup. Before you even made that request, I pulled up the Wikipedia article and I just have the plot summary like sitting on my desktop right now in case I need to review because it sounds like we're going to need to. But I think we can at least, we we can get, you know, about two-thirds of the way through the movie. We probably won't need to lean on until the spoiler room. I mean, the basic setup is there's a kid who finds a thing called a death note. It's basically a death god's notebook. Uh, It gets passed down from person to person. It falls out of the sky, and he can write any any name that he writes in it that person dies and he can describe the exact way they're going to die and it happens exactly the way that he says it's going to also importantly he has to be able to at least envision their face which does come into play at some point and know their name yeah that's that's basically your movie but it's um Oh boy! I mean, immediately when this, so we uh, we should probably mention right out right out the gate. We should mention some some details about the people involved with this. So Adam Wingard yeah. directed this. He did yes. the guests and your next. Both mo- neither movie I really loved, but I felt like oh here's a new voice coming onto the scene. You know, he started to develop a style. I absolutely loved your next. Actually, I had an amazing time with that in theaters. I actually revisited it recently, and I don't know. Maybe that maybe it was just the shock value to some degree that was so much fun the first time, but it didn't didn't hold up for me as much. Also, not a huge fan of the guest, but yeah. Regardless, this is a director where I'm like, oh, this guy's involved. It's probably going to be at least well done. You know? Oh yeah, I think it, I think his um, it, and I enjoyed the guest more than your next. Um, it felt like less less of a novelty in different ways than the guest. Though the guest also feels like kind of a novelty because it's clearly like this is the new John Carpenter. You know, it's got it very much got that John Carpenter vibe. You know, which is really hard to quantify. But that movie really nailed it in a in a special way. I think his problem has always been his material. I think this movie. Oddly enough, um, and maybe I'm tipping my hand here by even saying that, but it really did solidify him to me as like a really strong director with a strong sense of visuals, with aesthetic, you know, lighting, performances, everything. It just, I I feel like he's always just kind of working with the wrong script Mm. or a script Mm -hmm. that needs a little bit more work. Um, mm-hmm. so, so we've got Adam Wingard directing this thing. This is his big break. You know, this is one of the early Netflix original movies. And yeah, that's true. This is already a few years old. It seemed new to me for some reason, but this is from 2017. This was a big deal. This is big news at the time. And especially because Death Note has this worldwide fandom new, not only the manga, but there's a, an animated series. There's, I think, a, a Japanese live action series as well. Yeah, I mean, this is already a a massive franchise, a massive international franchise before Netflix ever got to it, before Adam Wingard ever got to it. 
Right. So, in, in as our protagonist, uh, Light Turner, very on the nose name. Uh, okay. Have- and let me just let let me just talk about that for one second because okay. I'm fascinated by that choice. The character in the comics is named Light Yagami, and yes, I, I think Light is you know certainly uh, some sort of English transliteration. I don't know that the character's name is literally Light in Japanese, but you know whatever. I just found it interesting that. You know, obviously, most of the cast of the movie has been whitewashed, and this character's name has certainly been like half whitewashed. And I'm just like, if you're gonna go like full white, like Turner for the last name, why not just call him, you know, fucking uh, Brett or whatever? I didn't know, you know, going into this, I didn't know if we were going to get into whitewashing into that discussion. Uh, I'm glad that you already seem to be on board for it because i unlike you i have not read a single page of death note um and i'm gonna try not to like repeatedly compare but that but that was just like weird. such an odd note to me like to stick with that strange uh and again this is my assumption that it's an english transliteration of whatever the character's name is in japanese um but to stick with that very strange first name leave it unexplained but then just give him like the whitest like apple pie last name imaginable Oh, and the only like the only thing light about this gothy kid are his fucking frost tips and his hair. Like the character <laughs> name, if you're gonna carry that over, it doesn't even have any thematic significance. So right. it's totally right. bizarre. Totally bizarre. Um and we begin with a very American setting too, you know, we're 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 on a high school football field. Yeah. Um or off the cheerleaders. His cheerleaders, he's got the hots for one of them. Uh, one of he, them played by Margaret Qualley, who is Andy McDowell's daughter. Whoa, what? Yeah, I, I know, didn't know right? that. I love Andy I, McDowell. I was um, like, who is this? I, I know I've heard this name, Margaret Qualley, before. Who is this? What's she been in? Look her up. Andy McDowell's kid. Amazing. So he's got a little bit of a crush on her. He's kind of, you know, he's very, very efficiently and quickly established as like, he's a little bit of an outsider. He's a little bit dark. Kind of reminded me of myself in high school, honestly. But he's, but also, he's also like an super, asshole. He's, well, he's also like super smart and he's paying, you know, people pay him to write papers for them. And there's a lot going on in that opening scene, and there's a storm, too, and a fucking book falls out of the sky. You know, couldn't be any simpler or more fairy tale esque The Death Cut Note. Cut right to it. Cut the right death, to the chase. The Death Notebook. I mean, I found it weird that they kept calling the book a note, but I guess you have to stick to the title because it's so well known. Mm. Falls out of the sky, and then he gets beat the fuck up and the girl and he talks back to the bullies this is sort of our first inkling that we get of what this character is like as he's clearly an outsider he's you know the smart guy he's the nerd but he doesn't cower in the face of bullies he talks shit at the bullies and then he gets beat up he talk he's a, he's a little shit he talks back and and he gets detention for 2 weeks we later find out that his mother was killed in what a car accident drunk driving sort of thing is that what it was um yeah honestly i feel like that's right but i don't quite remember his mom died his dad is a police officer i think he's actually a detective 
Yes. His dad's a detective, but he's kind of, you know, he's grief stricken. He's kind of drunk. He hasn't really, he hasn't, he could have probably done more work. At least this little teenager thinks he could have done more work to actually nab the killer and and get him put in prison. Uh, But he didn't do it. So they have a very fraught relationship. And eventually, you know, not even eventually, very quickly, the kid, Nat Wolf, Light Turner, in detention, gets a visit from a, well, what should be a Japanese death demon, but is not quite, played by Willem Dafoe. I love... voiced by Willem Dafoe. Does somebody else play him? Because there are scenes, there are scenes, I mean, you don't see his face very clearly for most of the movie, but there are definitely scenes later on where I don't know if it was an animatronic or what, but it looked like Willem Dafoe. Okay, so actually I have answers to your questions about that. Uh, and uh, not because I did any like research, oh, but uh, actually in the credits of this movie, there are very brief sort of behind-the-scenes images of the, the main cast. And you actually see kind of how they created Ryuk, the, uh, the death demon. I, I also had the same questions as I was watching the movie because it looks pretty convincing and pretty physical a lot of the time but also the its face definitely doesn't look quite all there and literally it makes sense Mm -hmm. when you see the way they did it in the credits because it's a guy in a suit and basically the whole suit like ryuk's spiky porcupine shoulders are there and much of his head is there but the actual face of the actor who did the mocap is exposed and they've got the mocap dots on his face so it appears that mostly uh the character was all practical and physically there other than the face which was added with cg and post and it looked like willem dafoe um also did some like facial mocap while he was doing his voice performance but i think they kind of combined the physical mocap actor and dafoe to create the final face because the face certainly also looks Defoe-esque at times. So it's an interesting sort of hybrid of practical effect costuming and CG that I thought was pretty cool when I learned how they did it afterwards because it, I don't know, it doesn't always look great in the movie, but it often looks pretty cool. I mean, this is a very strange character in the comics and they translate it to the screen pretty directly and in a pretty cool and convincing way overall, even if it isn't always perfect. I love it at least visually. I have some problems with that character and his relationship with Light Turner. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like I, I would like to see a little bit more rapport develop between them. I felt like that could have been fun, and that probably is in the graphic novel. I don't know. Yeah, um, it definitely is. Because he mostly just here exists as like an exposition trickster, but mm-hmm. he looks fucking cool. I mean, like, yeah. he's got, he looks like a combination of Pennywise, like the new Pennywise, and like, uh, a character from the, the Nightbreed movie that also has this porcupine kind of spiking thing going on. Mm. You normally see him in the background. It looks like a practical suit. You see his red eyes, Willem Dafoe's voice, very menacing, mm-hmm. but also kind of alluring and intriguing. I like that stuff. I think he's a really cool monster. Yeah, it was uh, to me. It was mostly just fun to see uh, or hear Willem Dafoe play the Green Goblin again. <laughs> yeah, no, that's pretty much what it is. Um, but it's great. So, 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 Light Turner gets kind of he he he's fucking around with the Death Note and detention. He meets wh- what's his name again? The demon Ruki R- R- Ryuk. <laughs> Ruki Ryuk. 
Ryuk, uh, not Michael Rooker, Ryuk. Uh, and he, yeah, basically we get an exposition dump, but this entire, you know, classroom where detention is being held is, is like ripped to shreds, winds blowing, everything's flying. Oh around. my God. And light is shrieking. Like That's, his okay. scream, his scream was hilarious to me. I feel like we need to drop some of that in. That's another thing. I mean, I don't want to, I, I feel like it's best to get this out of the way. Uh, Nat Wolf, who we best know from Hereditary, looking very All different right. here, looking very, very cute, to be honest. And I feel weird saying that because I don't know how old he was when he when he made this. He's, 20, he's 25. Oh, when he oh. made this? 22, I guess, or early oh, 20s. he's legal. All right. He's cute as fuck, even with the frost tips. Uh, his performance is so interesting to me because... Whenever anything remotely spooky or stressful goes on, he goes... I mean, I would say his performance is manga-esque because, like, I feel like manga is known for, like, these sort of very exaggerated facial expressions and gesticulations. Hmm. Um, And it doesn't work. (laughs) Like, it, it feels so out of piece with, like, the really dark vibe that this movie has where i was like when he's screaming i'm laughing during that oh scene. yeah it's i was so yeah, I was wildly a- over the top yeah i was absolutely i was screaming laughing at his screaming Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I didn't notice other than this particular scene that sort of over the those sort of over the top mannerisms that you described. But I don't know. Yeah, his his performance definitely kind of failed to catch fire for me. I don't know. Well, I, I just I didn't find him a particularly interesting protagonist. It's of a piece with the rest of the performance of the, in this movie by the principal characters minus Willem Dafoe. In that, I mean. We'll get to it, but oh man, Lakeith Stanfield is in this movie. Uh, oh one my, of my God. favorite, one of my favorite actors of of this, of you know the last ten years, and he's also like what you know he can do no wrong in my book. He's wildly over the top in his mannerisms, yes. but it feels like they're both actors who the script doesn't give them quite enough to do to make them stand out the way that these two actors would like to stand out. So they both just kind of have their moments where they go wildly over the top and cartoonish to compensate for how bland their lines are. And I love it. I'm here for it. Let's just get to Lakeith because he's honestly one of my favorite parts of this movie. And I think we can kind of briefly explain the connective tissue that brings us to him. I mean, Ryuk explains the way the Death Note works to Light. He encourages Light basically immediately to kill someone using the Death Note. Uh, And, you know, if we haven't made it clear... Basically, you can use the death note with impunity. Nobody knows that it was you. As long as you know the person's name and their face, you write in the book. You don't have to be anywhere near them. You can do it from a zillion miles away and just, like I said, kill with impunity. So Light kind of figures out how this works. He almost immediately kills his mother's killer 
using the death note after well, he figures first, out how it works. Just very quickly, and I do feel this is significant, very quickly. So the girl that he's that he's interested in, the kind of, you know, rebel cheerleader. Was she a cheerleader? I, yeah. She's like, yeah. she's at the top of the cheerleading pyramid in the opening scene. And then you right, see her. Right. This is a great scene, too. I think it's the only scene in the movie where she does this. But there's kind of a dramatic, like, music video-y slow-mo shot where she's in amongst a group of cheerleaders. Like, I think she's kind of, like, moving against the, the herd like walking the opposite direction of the yes. other cheerleaders like dramatically smoking a cigarette and yes. i was like i don't know what's going on but i'm i'm enjoying it yeah so she she gets bullied by the guy that beat the shit out of him while he's in detention and he decides uh with ryuk over his shoulder to test his new power to kill the bully and he does in a very final destination yes. sort of way yes. and i was like oh i'm here for this if this is how everybody dies in this movie in this like super complicated rube goldberg contraption way i'm here for this movie it turns out that's not what it is but it's a cool scene he gets decapitated strangely by a ladder that doesn't have any sharp edges uh, and his face his face apparently gets broken apart into nine different pieces he describes later i believe it when this movie gets brutal it gets very brutal indeed yeah there's the the kills in this movie are very over the top which is definitely a, a choice of the movies and not really something you get out of the the comic at all so i found that interesting i feel like adam wingard was maybe auditioning for his shot at the final destination franchise with this scene and that's something i would like to see uh there are there are there's at least one other scene later that is very final destination y that we yes, get to there really is um, yeah. wow I, I guess i hadn't even considered that this is more final destination than i thought so I mean, just a little more, little more character stuff. So after detention, Nat Wolf goes home, meets his dad, played by a guy I recognize but didn't look him Shea up. Shea Wiggum. Uh, Shea Wiggum. What's what's he in? What's he known for? Oh my god, I looked him up the other day and I was like, oh yeah, that and that, and now I forget I've what seen that, him that in were. stuff. Um, he's got a very distinctive look and kind of performance style. Oh, he was in True Detective. He was oh. in Fargo. He was in oh, Joker. Yeah. Oh, and Fast and Furious, my favorite franchise of all time. Yeah. And so, Boardwalk you Empire. Know, they have a fraught relationship, you know, he seems kind of like a, you know, he's he's turned into kind of a drunk since his wife's death. He's kind of a, uh, you know, very, very hard-nosed father. It's so comical, and, and I hate to say comic booky while we're talking about a comic book movie, but I mean, like, there's a scene where they're, they're having a fraught conversation that gets interrupted by the train going by outside and rattling everything in the house, which is, just, it's like well done, but so just kind of out of nowhere and off-putting but oh, anyway, i just thought of seven that just reminded me of seven but but that's where we get kind of the exposition dump about about light turner's uh mother dying and him you know just being really upset with his father for not really doing you know anything about it which he seemingly could have and very shortly after he decides well i just figured out this power works i'm gonna I'm going to try and and do justice but also bond with my father by kill you know by using the death note to kill the person who killed my mother. And he does. Uh, in a scene that weirdly looks like a flashback. I don't know if you got that vibe, but I was like, "Wait, is this actually happening in real time or not?" It's That's like true. Yeah, it has like bit. yeah, it has a weird like color tint to it and a certain unreality to it. And the guy gets stabbed with a steak knife. I mean, in the in the context of the scene it's kind of unclear what's happened to him especially given how he just immediately falls on the table and starts spraying blood from his mouth and afterwards it's like oh he got stabbed with a steak knife i'm like 
Oh, it's didn't know described that's what later. It's described later that he, the dad, says that he fell on a knife, but that's not what happened. No. And yet, I don't know what actually happened because it wasn't shot very clearly. No, <laughs> but I knew that was wrong. Um, yeah. So anyway, dad gets a new, you know, kind of jolt of electricity in his life, and he's off to, you know, get back to be more invested in his work. Uh, cheerleader smoking girl approaches uh, Nat Wolf's character. Uh, because he's just always kind of hanging around while she's practicing, which is also a little bit creepy. And she makes joke about, you know, do you miss our friend, a.k.a. the bully? And he shows her the book, and she doesn't believe him. So he decides to prove to her that the book actually works. So he just Googles live crime scene. We see a hostage situation, and he writes down a very particular way that the the person holding the hostages is going to die. It happens live on camera. They become like a Badlands, Bonnie and Clyde sort of couple. We can do mm-hmm. anything with this power. What do we do? Well, for some reason that is not clear in the screenplay, but maybe is clear in the graphic novel, Nat Wolf decides the people need a god. We need to go after criminals that nobody else will tackle with this book. We're going to look all over the world. We're going to find the worst people, and we're going to use the name Kira as the name of the person who is invoking this kind of renegade justice. Which I have some problems with, not the least of which is because Kira is apparently Japanese for killer, and they want to deflect attention from them by hoping that authorities will think that the killer is from Japan. And if we're talking about whitewashing, (laughs) what a bizarre move to make. Yeah, well, and I mean, I guess I can offer some context on that. So, I mean, in the in the comic, there is not this girlfriend character. I thought that was an interesting choice. Oh, wow. We're wow. Okay. He he keeps the whole death note concept very very close to the chest, which is why it struck me as odd that in the movie he almost immediately just spills the entire details of this situation to this person who he barely knows like he only just sort of had an encounter with this girl after crushing on her for whatever period of time and uh it's not he doesn't make the choice to become a god like he doesn't set out to become a god in the comic that was also something i thought was interesting that he immediately says like the people need a god like you just said and kira in the comic is the name that the people assign to him it's not the name that he starts trying to spread around but people start once they start connecting these killings to each other they assign you know, sort of a god or a mystical spirit, people start to just refer to it as the Kira killings. So, yeah, a lot of sort of interesting choices and a lot of choices that I didn't think worked that well as far as translating it to this adaptation. Well, okay, the question I've had about this, and again, you have not read all of Death Note. I would not expect you to have by this point because you just started it a couple of weeks ago. There's but a this fuck very ton much, of it. Well, there's a lot of it. It's 108 chapters, apparently. I am one-third of the way through it. And it, this very much felt to me like trying to condense a lot of material into a short film, you know, into into a feature film. It felt like... One, we have to adapt it for American audiences who are, you know, we studios presume are stupid and and can't have anything that they can't appreciate anything that's not spoon fed to them. But this whole movie felt like this is like five, at least five books worth of material 
condensed into one thing. So they had to find every shortcut they could to make to hit the fan service buttons to get Kira in there, but not have yeah. a whole movie about how people start calling him Kira. So he's just going to call himself Kira. Easy, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and as I said last episode, you know, I, I have this sort of philosophical approach of I, I want to judge the adaptation of anything on its own terms and how well sure. it succeeds at what it's trying to do, not how well it copied the source material. But yeah, this definitely has the feeling of being rushed, which is interesting because I mean, it's a short movie. I mean, it's a hundred minutes. And uh, I, I just thought it was interesting that they didn't expound on some of these concepts or some of these threads. Cause I think you don't even necessarily need to cut things from the movie just so much as they could have spent a little more time with some of these threads. It just feels rushed, I think, even if you don't know anything about the source material. Which I don't, and and I still felt that way. I still felt like there were scenes where I'm like, I bet that was like half of a book. But let me get to my favorite fucking thing or get back to my favorite fucking thing and this does uh i think it is more enjoyable as uh someone who has read the source material is l so l is the mysterious private investigator uh played by lakeith stanfield who we mentioned already who is I wouldn't say brought in. He just kind of inserts himself into the case and is like, you need me. I'm the only one who's going to figure out who Kira is and becomes the cat to Light's mouse or vice versa, I guess. Um, They have a little bit of a heat uh, relationship going on. Uh, Even down to, at one point, having a pivotal meeting in like a diner. But I I love that scene. I was so into Lakeith's performance, honestly. And like you said, Stephen, like, Lakeith Stanfield can do no wrong. Have loved him in everything I've seen him in. I was, I actually looked him up after this because I was like, oh, yeah, you know, sorry to bother you. That was great. What else have I seen this guy in? Get out. He's been in, like, yeah, get out. He's been in Get Out. He's been in Knives Out. He's been in uh, Dope which is an amazing movie and others that I'm blanking on right now. But this guy, like having come out of basically nowhere, I don't know, maybe five, 10 years ago has been in so many killer movies in such a short period of time. But I, I just, I loved the bizarre, quirky, hyper sort of anxious energy that he gives this character. And I especially appreciated that unlike some of the other actors in this, where I, I didn't really get a sense of them, having been familiar with the source material like lakeith's weird posture where he always has his like legs tucked up underneath him and he's, he's sitting on a gargoyle-esque chair yeah. feet on the chair yeah he's very gargoyle-esque he's always got these very wide eyes he's um, chomping he's just like downing mouthfuls of candy is that in the graphic novel yes yeah okay. which coincidentally i i actually kind of literally did before i started this episode tonight uh, I don't know if it worked because I don't feel as hyper as I want to be right now. But yeah, I, I just loved the way he kind of uh, translated this character's weird physicality from the comics, which is so, um, I don't know, in the comics, it, it is so idiosyncratic and doesn't seem like something that would work on screen at all. But I, I just, I loved seeing him so deftly translate that physicality to the screen. It was really fun. And like you it was- said, it's very, it just has that manga 
comic book energy to it. I was interested to hear you say that that come across, although it sounded like it didn't work as well for you. No, it it did. It just felt like he was in an entirely different movie, and I mm, want to see that yeah. movie. <laughs> but no, he he does an yeah. amazing job here with, you know, a character that is pretty. You know, I feel like in like comic book terms is like pretty boilerplate because he's just a bundle of bizarre behaviors and he's always like five steps ahead of everybody else, you know, in this sort of like superhuman way almost. He's very mm-hmm. cartoonish, but he also, I don't know, he, 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 he sold it because he's Lakeith Stanfield. He can play anybody. He's like one of the best character actors around. Like if all the performances we've mentioned, these are all like wildly different characters wildly different tones he's dealt with many directors who have like very specific agendas and he's always able to kind of blend in and and do the job in this movie it felt like it was maybe him stepping up above the director like i need to give this a little bit more flavor yeah i agree very much with all that i was about to say something along similar lines because i mean you know this character there are a couple of pretty stock ways to play this character as kind of a cocky asshole but i love that just sort of nervous energy that he brings to the character and even though it is so over the top and you know sort of hyper real he also still seems like a real person and brings some actual emotion to some pivotal scenes it's just i don't know it's it's kind of like i don't know if i want to say it's perfect camp because it's not even quite campy it's 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 just very weird he comes out of like you said just a a different movie that i want to see and i feel like it comes out of him you know paying some attention to the source material and putting some thought into creating a unique character i really dug it well it should be said i mean to describe l he's like if 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 Banksy were like a renegade crime investigator, <laughs> like he's yeah. you know he's in he's in all black, you know he's got a hood, he's got a gator on his face. Like most of the movie, Lakeith is just acting with his eyes, which he has amazing yeah. eyes. I mean, he has a very yeah. you know if if you just even Google a picture of this guy, you just gotta. I, I find myself just getting kind of lost into wondering what's on his mind. Um, he has a very just soulful expression even with just his eyes and for most of the movie it's his eyes and his voice doing the work and he still he still stands out and delivers this absurd (laughs) material so well that i was like all right i'm into this like i I was like disappointed if i had to wait too long for him to come back into the fold Um, yeah all right so 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 like he's okay so he uh, he's actually i think in japan investigating a murder again the japanese connections are very odd in this it's like there seems very strange that a, a movie so whitewashed would uh rely on that kind of iconography so much um but he's actually like in japan i think investigating one of the kira quote-unquote murders he's got his yeah. his assistant what's his assistant's name Watari, we meet yes our sole Japanese, our sole Asian character in yeah. this film, who is you know I mean what do we call this guy other than like a manservant you know he's oh yeah like he's a, the just the blatant stereotype it's so yeah. weird I'm like wow if you're going to throw like 
a token Asian character into this movie, I guess, I don't know, just give give him something a little more to do than this. I, no, I don't he's know. just purely, he's just purely dedicated, subservient, um, becomes subservient to Light Turner later in the movie in yeah. an even more extreme way for his kind of denouement, which is also sort of, you know, upsetting if you if you look at it a certain way. Yeah, um, but, so, but they become involved. They find out. Turn actually, we should even mention this whole thing takes place in Seattle. Uh, that's that's where that's where Light Turner's located and his father. And they very quickly figure out this whole misdirect of Kira possibly being Japanese or from somewhere else. No, they they very quickly link it all to Seattle, and they start. Uh, they basically kind of take up house in, in in the police headquarters there and start investigating the, the everybody on the agency. Yeah, so L, you know, kind of creates a very uh, combative relationship with Light's dad, and he starts L starts quite openly taunting Kira, aka Light, to reveal himself because L, of course, has the advantage of being basically anonymous he hides his face no one knows his real name he goes only by l so uh essentially he figures out that kira has to know people's names and know their faces to kill them so he knows that he uh you know has some degree of immunity in this whole thing so he starts yeah essentially taunting him to show himself yeah, which is it's all very cartoonish, but I will say it generated a fair amount of att- of uh, tension for me, mm-hmm. which I was not expecting in a film like this because it does become kind of a it becomes kind of a procedural without the rules of an ordinary procedural because it is very very comic booky, very very manga y, um, but you you start to like very quickly. I think when this movie really really picks up pace is when you start to realize like oh. They figured out Light's game. It's not even really a game. He's trying to do good with this power at this point. But you you figure out that they very quickly figured out, like, all right, well, there's a human behind this. There's not a god. Even though we see all this, you know, Kira is being, you know, spray painted on walls all around the world. Um, Right, because he's killing bad guys. And so people are like, God bless Kira. So it's, it's kind of a heightened version of the monkey paw thing where, like, He's using this evil power to do the right thing and to try and inspire a movement, but in doing so is also potentially inspiring criminals to take on the name Kira and use that for their own devices. Uh, the movie doesn't really explore that all that much. It's touched on very briefly. You know, it's an interesting concept, but essentially, like, the second half of this movie, the back half of it, is just light uh, trying to continue to do what he's doing without his dad knowing and without L figuring him out. Yeah. And with his girlfriend, uh, who, you know, I wish I could remember her name, uh, she starts Mia. to, Mia, she starts to become, she's not as nervous as he is. Like, she's, because she's the bad girl that we see smoking the cigarette, walking against the grain of the cheerleader crowd in the beginning, you know, she wants to take this even further than he does. And yeah. and that's where we get into kind of Badlands, Bonnie and Clyde territory. Um, well, and we should also note that at 
this point, Ryuk is also becoming kind of a liability because Light initially thinks that Ryuk is, you know, just his puppet, that Ryuk is just there to do his bidding. But uh, people who Light doesn't necessarily want to die start to die, much to his surprise and chagrin. I mean, I think the key example of this is at one point a team of agents i forget if they're fbi or whatever they're law enforcement who are investigating the 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 kira case all commit suicide which is not something that light directed the death note to do and riot kind of cackles about this and is like you know you're uh you're not the one in charge here i can still do what i want and the light is very specifically not trying to cause any trouble in his hometown at this point so this comes as a very crucial blow to his cover and that's really kind of when all hell breaks loose lights running scared reacts you know off the leash a bit things are not going well which i think means it's time to go down to the spoiler room so steven would you view q or screw death note i would screw death note i will say though i had a fun time watching it I had a feeling it was going to be convoluted. It was going to be complicated in ways it didn't need to be. But it really is a beautiful looking movie. First of all, it is very like the directing has such panache. I don't I tried to figure this out and didn't have enough time to really get to the bottom of it. But I mean, it actually looks like it was shot on film. It might have been a a digital filter applied later. But like this movie, it moves. It's got a it's got a look. The performances across the board are all very unique, even if people seem like they're in different movies. Uh, I appreciated them uh, on some level. But it is just such, narrative-wise, it is such a convoluted mess. I was longing for that kind of Final Destination inkling I had in in the first couple of scenes. It just get, it gets too far out of control. Like I can't honestly recommend this movie to anyone unless you're like an adam wimgard like completist (laughs) i'm curious to see what he does next i mean he's he's kind of started to develop a niche as like a franchise guy he did the blair witch movie and he's doing uh he's doing godzilla versus kong next oh yeah i saw that i was like that'll be interesting but he can move a camera in a very special way i think like this this thing just really does have a it, there's a little extra touch there that some of these Netflix financed horror movies don't quite have. And, and there were some risks taken and we'll get to some of them in the, in the final act, even directing wise, but man, it's, it's a mess. You know, it's, it's not hard to sit through, but I can't say that I can recommend sitting through it because I don't think you're going to really feel like you've experienced something worthwhile in the end. So it's screw it for me, Patrick. I am just riding the line between Q and Screw so hard here because, uh, I don't know, it is an interesting film. As we've talked about, there there's a lot of bizarre and unique elements, most, mostly Lakeith Stanfield's performance. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It just doesn't quite all gel, and it's not overall a good or interesting movie. I think I actually have to go with the Screw It on this one. Wow. And, you know, if the concept has intrigued you, enough having listened to this discussion go instead spend an hour and 40 minutes of your life reading 
Death Note, the manga, it's a lot more interesting. The one comparison note that I will offer is that the character of Light is so different. Light is kind of like, he's essentially a sociopath in the comic. Like, he's kind of the antagonist and l is kind of the protagonist like light is just presented as this like genius intellect teen who basically has a god complex not in the same like really literally presented sense of you know the world needs a god i'm going to be kira but just he thinks he's smarter than everybody else and he's going to set the world straight and it's just this constant like high stress high anxiety him trying to stay a step ahead of everybody it reminded me in some ways actually of a show that we talk about all the fucking time hannibal in just that sense that light is in the comics so smart so cool and collected kind of a psycho and always one step or a half step uh, ahead of those who are pursuing him yeah, it's good stuff. So, oh, I again, like that. It, I want to. I want to read the graphic novel now or the the manga because I was so confused about how to feel about his character. Because one, I mean, he's only given really one note of backstory, which is that his his mom died and his dad didn't do enough about it. You know, I never mm-hmm. really got a sense of like who he was, what his motivations are. I thought it was very odd that he just suddenly decided the world needs a god and I'm going to play god and I'm going to do right. Like I I didn't know where he was coming from. I think this would be much more compelling if he was just a little shit who was completely full of himself and like mad with power. Yeah, he is not a likable character in the comic. So anyway, screw it. Go read the graphic novel if you're interested. We're going to go down to the spoiler room, but before we go down there, as usual, here is your standard reminder to go hit up every horror movie on Netflix.com, hit our merch store link, check out our t-shirts, buy one if you feel so inclined, subscribe to us, review us on your podcast provider of choice, and follow us on social media. We're at Amoncast. E-H-M-O-N-Cast at uh, whatever social networks you like to use. Did I miss anything, Stephen? I think that was the most succinct business break ever, Patrick. Good job. I'm getting better every time. All right. Let's go down to the spoiler room and uh, see what else is in that death note. All right. See you in a minute, guys. All right, we are back. We're down in the spoiler room, ready to spoil every damn thing about Death Note. And boy, there's a lot to spoil. Uh, As we said already, uh, I don't know that either of us even fully understood the many twists and turns that this takes in the end. But I'm going to attempt to give a quick rundown of it. Are you ready? My God, Patrick, I am so uh, just impressed that you would even give this a shot because it's so convoluted all right so elf figures out that light is kira and confronts him about it in this heat-esque diner scene that i already alluded to and light finally like loses his shit he's fucking sweating and so he finally kind of gives in to the idea of using the death note to fuck with good people instead of bad people so he sends watari to go track down l's identity his plan is that he's going to burn the page that he wrote watari's name on after watari carries out his bidding and finds out l's name 
because uh, at this because... point he's we should be clear because he needs to see the face he's seen l's face finally at this point but he doesn't yeah. know his, his true name right right and the you yeah. know one of the rules of the death note and there are many this is and there this are is too another... many i would say <laughs> Well, and that's a, that's very much a convention of the comic book. Every issue, every chapter has new rules at the end of oh, it. Oh, Jesus. It's it's intense, and there's a little nod to it in this movie at one point. I think Light or someone says something about there are too many rules, something like yeah, that. Yeah, he little says nod exactly in that, and it's yeah. hilarious even not knowing how much more convoluted it is in the source material. Yeah, so the one of the rules is if you've written someone's name down, you can... Only one time. This is a one-time shot. It's like a lifeline. Who wants to be a millionaire? You only get one of them. Uh, you can rip the page out, burn it, and it'll undo the whole thing. The person won't die, which is what he plans to do with Watari. Well, you can, and I'm sorry if you mentioned this, and I am just repeating you, but you can use the Death Note to control people and not to kill them, as long as you after what you write down as long as you burn it so yeah you can basically just like treat people like robots and move them around for 48 hours right you can you can lay out an extremely convoluted and detailed series of events uh for them to carry out prior to their death as long as it ends with them dying and that's that was also used to pretty extreme effect in this movie like he has people do a lot of shit and basically uses it almost as a a mind control device more so than just like a killing machine but turns out watari goes to find out l's real name and right before he can reveal the name to light he gets fucking shot turns out Mia, as we've been hearing, has uh, sort of darker intentions for this whole death note. It was she, not Ryuk, who uh, ordered the mass suicide of the agents that we saw earlier in the movie. And she ripped Watari's name out of the notebook. This is after Watari has been sent on this mission to get L's, to find L's identity. We should mention again. Yeah. Right. So Light no longer is able to forestall Watari's death. Mia has instead written Light's name in the notebook because now she wants the notebook, but she offers to burn the page if he gives her the notebook, which doesn't quite make sense to me because Light could just rip it out himself, I think. But I don't know. I'm not it's, sure what rules the movie's yeah, playing. Yeah, a lot of lot of questions, a lot of lot of loopholes to explore here in this whole yeah. thing. And the way it's delivered doesn't really help with that kind of skepticism. No. So lights backed into a corner. He doesn't have L's real name, which uh, you know was kind of his. Uh, you know that was his goal. Because uh, if, if he if he. I'm going to keep interrupting you just to keep our audience up to speed. But if he has L, basically, like, everything can be solved if he has L's identity. Because L's the only person in the world who seems to have somehow magically, with his super crazy autistic brain, figured out what is happening. If he can get L off his back, he's gold. And he he doesn't want to keep killing people, you know, criminals or otherwise. He wants out of this. Right. So Light has lost that, you know, sort of shot at immunity, I guess. And Mia wants the book. So Light tells her, meet me at the Ferris wheel. Light 
you know, has this sweaty, intense scene in a classroom where he's like looking up pictures on a computer. He's writing shit in the death note. Obviously, he's laying his final trap. So Mia shows up at the Ferris wheel. Light refuses to give her the notebook, I believe. She takes it from him and like police are fucking swarming the ferris wheel because l is now chasing light because he's pissed off that watari is dead watari's like his brother and this is a great acting moment actually from lakeith stanfield anytime that lakeith is reacting to watari's death he's just fully in it and you feel his actual grief for this non-character so props to lakeith for for that because Watari holds it together. You know, Lakeith is just like fucking unhinged, surrounded by candy all the time. He's just like super idiosyncratic. But like Watari is like his like his business manager, you know? He- yeah. So they're on top of the Ferris wheel. Police are just swarming the Ferris wheel below. What's going to happen? Mia steals the notebook. The Ferris wheel starts to collapse. And this is the final destination, the second final destination esque mm-hmm. moment that we referred to before, because this is a big, dramatic CG <laughs> scene of the Ferris wheel just spectacularly falling apart. So the Ferris wheel collapses. Mia falls into the water and dies. The page from the Death Note with Light's name on it falls into a burning barrel fire and burns up so that light is now off the hook and is no longer going to be killed by the death note a couple of mysterious people show up and pull light out of the water recover the death note itself it turns out in the end this was all light's plan he wrote this all down he wrote down that mia was going to die by falling off a ferris wheel uh, that she was going to die after trying to steal the note from Light. He even wrote down specifically the detail that the page with his name on it was going to be burned. Another convoluted detail that doesn't make a lot of sense to me, even within the rules of the movie. And then he also, in this sweaty moment in the classroom when he's on the computer, he identifies two criminals. I forget what their crimes are exactly. But one of them is a medical doctor who puts light into a medically induced coma so that society will not continue to connect the dots between him and the murders because people continue to die that he's written down in the death note, including this doctor, uh, while he's in the coma. And the other guy recovers the death note for light and then kills himself so essentially light gets off it would seem scot-free and i should note and there's one crazy moment i want to go back to on the ferris wheel yes this all happens in like 10 to 15 minutes so if this sounds bewildering to you hearing patrick describe it imagine watching this in the film after everything you've been through so far that seems pretty fairly straightforward do i feel bewildered describing it myself I feel bewildered all over again. Like, why are we... I don't understand from a screenwriting perspective why we are kept from knowing this information from our protagonist. (laughs) Like, he's been playing games we're not even aware of while he's been getting duped the entire time by his girlfriend. It, It makes absolutely no sense. It is very rushed in lazy screenwriting. Again, back to... What I said earlier, it feels like trying to condense like a lot of material, an immense amount of material into a very short space. Like it was like there was going to be one Death Note movie and we're just going to put all of Death Note into it. <laughs> There's no sequel. We're just going to fit the whole thing into 110 minutes. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, 
look, it's a convoluted concept to begin with. The source material is convoluted. There's some fairly convoluted things that happen earlier in the film, but this climax just ratchets it up by like five notches to the degree where, you know, it's, it's just pretty head spinning. And I guess you're supposed to be kind of amazed at light's cleverness in the end, but instead it just, I don't know, it feels contrived and confusing and, and not as uh, cathartic or fun as I think it was intended to be. But there's, okay, one thing we know about Adam Wingard, or that I know, having seen most of his movies, is he loves a good music cue. <laughs> oh my god, yes, there are there are some wild music cues in this, that's for sure. Uh, none of them are as striking as the uh, I'm I'm Looking for the Magic, Dwight Tilly, yeah. Dwight Twilly oh, Band. Oh, oh, uh. what, a, what a discovery um, yes. it, from, from your next. But uh, on the Ferris wheel, there's a scene that, you know, I think uh, Nat Wolf's kind of kind of goofy dopiness the way that he plays his character actually like paid off in a really hilarious scene while he and his girlfriend they're on the ferris wheel they they've been we we haven't said this but they've been trailed by you know special forces and l for a while including at a, a high school dance and they decide to get on the Ferris wheel and kind of ride it out and talk to each other without anybody listening, but everybody watching. And there's this scene where, like, we already know that that Mia put his name in the death note, that she got her hands on it, that she snuck a page into a calculus book or whatever. And again, still, still, even that is like too convoluted to try and explain and make sense of in this recap. But he already knows that. And then he tells her, and then he reveals that he also had a plan that was in the death note that she didn't see. And the way that he delivers that information was genuinely funny to me. Like this little cat fight that they have on on, on the Ferris wheel while they're up in the air. And then the thing blows apart and she falls out. We don't know if she's going to push him. Is he going to push her? Super dramatic. The thing is, you know, it's a sparks factory. There's sparks flying everywhere. The Ferris wheel's falling over. And he falls out in slow motion, reaching toward her with sparks flying everywhere, like the 4th of July, with this. I don't even know what this song is. It's it like Chicago. So, is it Chicago? It's, yeah. With this song playing in the background. I don't want to live without your love, I think is the, the title on the chorus of the song, but it's fucking Chicago. This movie is in Adam Wynn guard fashion heavy on some oddly placed 80s uh like soft rock hits and the whole movie does have kind of an 80s looking vibe to it it doesn't really exist in any particular time or place which i appreciate i mean that's one thing i loved about it follows another film from the amon catalog but like that scene and the way that he kind of snaps and reveals to her like when she gets upset that he wrote her name in the book as well it was so funny to me i felt like finally his like his goofy performance paid off and then all hell breaks loose and we get this slow motion of her f- like falling out into the water him kind of flying after her with the sparks flying in this cheesy song playing where i was like this is hilarious and also and I, beautiful looking. I wanted this vibe the whole time. Like, if you didn't treat this material seriously now, why did you earlier on in the movie? Right. I feel like that's such a hard moment to read because with that musical cue and the way that's presented, it is funny. And I yeah. can't imagine that 
Wingard and his team didn't think it was funny, that that wasn't their intention. But it's also so oddly placed in the movie. I, I just, wow, it's, it's really an inscrutable moment. I don't know what they were going for there. Uh, yeah, I don't know what to think of it, but I was like, you know what? If that was the vibe of this entire movie, I would have loved this movie. It just sure. it came too late. There were a couple little moments earlier on, like like Nat Wolf like screaming like a baby in the detention hall. You know, yeah. like that that was like also funny in a similar way, but that was like quickly undercut by yeah. uh, by Ryuk showing up again. I loved it like i i want i wanted more of that from this but that's that's not what we get instead we get maybe 10 more minutes of extremely convoluted exposition to unsolve yeah. this riddle of who's in the book who wrote what i'd forgotten at that point that only one page had been burned which is all you can do to get yeah. Ryuk off your back like it just becomes completely indecipherable yeah, so it's this yeah very convoluted ending. You know, I think uh, there's almost a moment where I, I I think they thought they were having their Kaiser Soza moment where they're going back and show you showing you how this all played out. And I think you're supposed yeah. to be real impressed with that. It's not particularly impressive. And then it also just struck me as odd how kind of abruptly and inconclusively things ended after that because we wind up with you know l is going nuts because watari is dead he tracks down the death note there's this very dramatic scene where he's like sobbing again lakeith is giving just everything he's got to this and he's clearly contemplating writing l's i mean writing light's name in the death note at the same time light has woken up from his coma he's in the hospital his dad has finally figured out that he's kira and you know there's a very tense moment between them over that and this is intercut with l considering writing light's name in the death note and then ryuk just starts cackling from the shadows and says humans are so interesting and that's the end of the movie cut to uh some air supply song another of these uh sort of bizarre 80s musical cues did enjoy hearing uh in excess don't change at yeah i enjoyed that as well i always love hearing that song on a a personal note i have a, a vendetta against air supply because i i did date at one point a man who was uh, 15 years older than me, but but didn't look at you know probably looked a day younger than me. And I found out <laughs> when when I finally realized that we wouldn't click uh, was when he we were talking about music and he told me that he actively purchased Air Supply albums as they were coming out and listened to wow. them regularly. Wow. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's super fucking weird. I felt like I was in a coma for the last 20 minutes of this movie <laughs> like like at, like trying to wake up from it i just could not understand what was happening what i mean, basically it's the work of a, a very sort of harried screenwriter trying to hurriedly tie all these loose ends together well but i don't even know that it's trying to tie loose ends together it's because i i think they're going for sequel setup i i can only assume that that's sequel setup to leave it on these you know, kind of multiple cliffhangers of L considering writing Light's name down, Light's dad having figured out that he's Kira. Uh, I, I assumed they were preparing for Death Note too. 
Well, they, I don't know that they were at the time, but there have been talks I've read online after watching the film that there would be a Death Note 2 for Netflix. But it's been three years. I don't feel like Netflix usually sits on a property for that long without delivering. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm seeing here now in 2018, it was announced that a sequel is in the works and a script was being written. But it uh, doesn't seem like there's been any, any updates since then. So, I mean, th- there's so much more we could discuss. I, I'm amazed that a movie this kind of seemingly tight uh poses more questions than answers i've not seen anything quite like it in some time i think it was kind of a a stepping stone for netflix into figuring out how to do their own feature films their own adaptations but i don't think there's much more we can really say at this point you've heard our reviews if you want to check it out check it out i i would advise you don't if you do leave it on the background and check in every now and again yeah i think it's uh about time to to close the death note for tonight and that means that it's also time for steven to tell us what we're watching next episode yeah so we are uh as i said earlier we are deep into spooky season in michigan earlier than expected it's very creepy looking outside i'm ready to get i'm ready to buy some pumpkins some gourds get the orange lights up watch a horror movie at night uh my my faithful familiar and also regular Amon guest Toby passed away last week and I was delighted to see that his uh, namesake Toby Hooper's Poltergeist is still on Netflix. Oh, so, all right. You know, all right. I, I felt it was it was a toss up between Poltergeist and Sleepy Hollow. I was like, we need to watch a stone cold modern Halloween classic, and I thought, you know what, I want to do Toby right, so we're gonna watch Poltergeist. Patrick, I know you've seen it recently. I have as well. I've seen it many times, yeah. but I I could watch again in a heartbeat. I don't think yeah. I've ever heard Chris's thoughts on it. I hope we don't get too bogged down in who really directed the movie but i've uh, i'll get i'll get the guns out for that argument <laughs> yeah i actually watched this rewatched it recently uh when i was going through the cursed film series on yeah. shutter because i was watching each episode and then watching the movie that each episode was about uh highly recommend that series and you know i even though the movie is quite fresh in my mind uh i uh may rewatch it before our next episode so glad you picked it it's a fun trip, and it's it's definitely a spook show, uh, and uh, definitely definitely fun to watch, and doesn't leave any loose ends hanging like Death Note, at least that I can think of. So, I, I, so I, would you view it, cue it, or screw it? <laughs> well, we'll see when we get to the episode. All right. Well, really looking forward to discussing that in a couple of weeks, and uh, just want to give a final shout out, of course, to good old Toby, our show feline mascot and a true prince of cats uh we're gonna miss him maybe we'll post another uh cute toby pic on instagram for the uh the listeners to memorialize him as well oh we should repost the the toby demon pic oh my god yes absolutely all right well we'll do that uh and we'll see you in two weeks for every horror movie on netflix i'm patrick i'm steven and we'll see you soon Bye bye. I'm gonna go write my name in this death note. <laughs>